I'm reading from John 20, uh, verses 19 to 31. It's on page 906 if you're using the church Bibles. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then all the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jody. So last week we encountered the resurrected Jesus in John's gospel. If you remember, uh, Jesus, was, Jesus was dead. He was really dead. And now Jesus is alive, resurrected, breathing, heart beating, walking, talking. Jesus lives. This week, we're going to step back into the story. We're going to walk the dirt roads of Jerusalem once more. We're going, to, we're going to encounter the resurrected Jesus through two more personal encounters with this Jesus. And, and, and in all of this, John wants us to see and believe that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants us to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. So, we're going to look at two resurrection sightings. The disciples, and then one of the disciples that is left out, Thomas. We're going to look at both of these stories here. All right, let's jump back into our text. Verse 19, we pick up the story. Mary has already encountered this living, resurrected Jesus, right? She, she goes to the tomb. Jesus is not there. And Mary's weeping, right? We find Mary weeping, and then Jesus appears, and, and Mary doesn't recognize this Jesus. That is until uh, Mary calls her name. She hears the, the voice of her shepherd. She turns, and Mary has a new song to sing, right? We pick up 
at verse 18, I have seen the Lord. We pick up the story in verse 19. On that same day, the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, put yourself in in the shoes of the disciples here. Mary's words are probably still fresh in their minds. I have seen the Lord. Indeed, she saw the Lord. The one one whom she loved deeply, resurrected in the flesh. And and you'd think that after hearing this news, the response from Jesus' disciples would be joy and celebration, right? You'd think that the disciples would be throwing a big old party at Peter's house or something, right? Jesus is alive. Let's celebrate. Jesus lives. But that's not how we find the disciples. They're They're not celebrating. They're held up in some room in a house somewhere in Jerusalem. Doors are bolted shut. They're terrified, terrified of what might happen to them if they're associated with this Jesus. They're not rejoicing. Their souls are troubled. Their hearts are filled with fear and doubt. And really, this this shouldn't surprise us all too much that the disciples aren't getting it. Remember, John tells us back, you can look at verse 9, that the disciples, they didn't understand the Scriptures, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Luke, one of the other Gospel writers, tells us that it's, it's only after the disciples see Jesus resurrected in the flesh that they begin to get it. And, and it isn't even in the experience of seeing Jesus that they begin to get it. It's only after Jesus opens their minds to understand the Scriptures that they begin to get the gravity and the glory of this moment. Jesus' resurrection and all of its implications hasn't really registered yet in the minds of these disciples. It hasn't registered in their hearts yet. So, is it any wonder to us that we find them in the condition that they're in, right? Confused, anxious, Fearful, doubting. Now what what happens next in this story is is really wild and weird and and surprising. The disciples, we see, are held up in some room. The doors are bolted shut, right? No one's getting in. Nobody's getting out. And then Jesus just shows up. Jesus just, he comes and he shows up. Can you, ima- can you imagine what this must have been like? Luke tells us that the disciples think that they have seen a spirit, a ghost of some sort, not the resurrected Jesus, but this is not a ghost. John tells us that the living, breathing, resurrected Jesus came and stood face to face with his disciples. And before any one of them could get a word out, Jesus speaks words of peace. You see that down at your text. He says, peace be with you. And as he's pronouncing words of peace over his disciples, he's showing them, he's showing them the wounds that purchased his peace, their peace. Now, something really subtle, and I think deeply encouraging, this has been deeply encouraging for me, 
is taking place here. First, notice that when Jesus shows up, he draws near to his disciples in the midst of their fearing. He comes close to fearful people. Jesus isn't perplexed by their fears. He's he's not annoyed by their fears. He's not offended by their fears. I think this is really good news for us. John shows us that Jesus is a friend to fearful people, like the disciples, like us. Jesus delights to draw near to us in the midst of real worry and and real anxiety, real fear, the hard stuff of life. Jesus wants to be right in the middle of it. So friends, what, what is troubling you? What keeps you awake at night? What do you worry about? What what are the things that make you anxious? What do you fear? Whatever it is that that worries you, that makes you anxious or, or afraid, you need to know that Jesus isn't repulsed by you. Jesus isn't repulsed by you. He's not disgusted by your fearfulness. In fact, what we see here is that he wants to be close to you. He wants to be near. This is, this is really good news for fearful people. It was good news for the disciples. It's good news for us, right? Praise God that he delights to be near to us and know us as the weak, frail, fearful people that we are. Put aside for a moment that, that we really shouldn't worry about anything, that we really shouldn't be anxious about anything. Don't miss what John's saying here. Let's read in between the lines here. Revel in the reality that God loves you perfectly right now in His perfect Son, Jesus, and He wants to know you. He wants to be close to you even as your heart is filled with fear, even as your heart is filled with worry. Jesus is a friend to fearful people. But there's more. I think there's something else going on here. Jesus doesn't just draw near to his disciples in the midst of their worry and their fear. He does does something about it. Jesus proclaims words of peace. And as he's proclaiming these words of peace, he shows them the, the wounds that purchase this peace. Jesus, we see here, is peace in the flesh, peace incarnate. He's peace in person. The prophets of long ago anticipated, they foretold of this arrival of God's peace in the person of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, you're probably really familiar with this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Luke tells us that when, this, when the time is right, God sent his promised peace to earth. And hundreds of thousands of celestial witnesses declare the arrival of this Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So here stands Jesus before his disciples. 
God's promised peace to mankind in the flesh. If God really did raise this Prince of Peace from the dead, if this really is Jesus risen from the dead, standing before His disciples here, then His words of peace mean everything. But if He didn't rise from the dead, God is a liar. God is a liar. And Jesus' words ring hollow. They mean nothing to His disciples and to us. John wants us to see and believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, right? He wants us to see this and believe that Jesus didn't stay dead. His body isn't rotting in some tomb. He really did conquer sin and death in His dying and in His rising. The one standing before the disciples is the living, resurrected Prince of Peace. And because of this, His words of peace mean everything to us. They mean everything to the disciples. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is living proof that God enters the mess of our lives and He does something about it. Jesus bled and died for our sin and He was raised for our peace. Paul will later write that we have real peace with God through Jesus. Real peace with God through Jesus. And it's only in Jesus that we experience real, stabilizing peace in the midst of the messiness of life. So when, when we're feeling crushed by fear and worry, when your heart is troubled and anxious, take comfort in the death-destroying, fear-crushing wounds of Jesus. Fear and worry, death and sin, they don't have the final word over us. Death and sin do not have the final word over us. Peace has the final word over us. This is God's final word over us. My peace is with you. Back to our passage. John, Jesus draws near to his disciples. They experience His peace and it produces joy in their hearts. And John tells us that they rejoice because they know they had seen the Lord. Encountering peace, the peace of God in the person of Jesus, produces glad-heartedness. It produces joy. But that's not all that's going on here. Jesus is on a mission. He wants His disciples to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and And he he doesn't just want them to believe, he wants the whole world to believe this news, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants the whole world to believe that he's the resurrection and the life. So Jesus draws near to us. He causes us to believe. And he sends us on mission to tell others about him. Verse 21, Jesus recommissions his disciples. Look down at verse 21 with me. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So friends, if if we've encountered the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Jesus, you're going to want to take that good news and share it with others. There's a lot more going on here, but we're going to jump to 
Jesus' encounter with Thomas. The disciples, they, they see and they hear and they touch Jesus. They experience him resurrected in the flesh. He was dead, now he's alive, and they're never the same after this. John tells us that they even begin singing the same song that Mary is singing. We have seen the Lord. This isn't where the story ends, though. John tells us there's one disciple who evidently missed out on the whole thing. Everyone's seen Jesus except for one, and it's Thomas. Thomas is, Thomas is nowhere to be found, right? Whether, whether this dude is out on a walk or something, we don't know where Thomas is at. Neither do his friends. John simply tells us that Thomas wasn't with the rest of the disciples when he came. At some point later that evening, Jesus leaves the disciples. He, he does his thing and he goes and then in walks Thomas. Imagine, imagine for a moment what it's like to be Thomas here. The grisly, horrific details of Jesus' crucifixion are probably still on your mind, haunting you. Your mind playing through that day over and over again. It's all that you can think about. Jesus essentially being torn to shreds and dying. You're devastated. You're upset you're angry, you're fearful, anxious, you're doubting. You get back from your walk. Open the door, you walk in, and your friends are freaking out. They're freaking out. Thomas, bro! This, they said this back, back, in, back in biblical times. Thomas, bro, you're not going to believe this. We just saw Jesus. I know it sounds crazy, but he was just here. The disciples are elated. Thomas, he's not having it. Not so much. He's, he's frustrated. He's skeptical. And Thomas doesn't mince words. Prove it. Right? He says in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into, into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will Never believe. I don't think Thomas is doubting at all. Thomas isn't doubting that Jesus was raised from the dead. He never doubts it for a second. I think he's rejecting Jesus' resurrection until and only after he has proof of it. Now, I think before we write off Thomas, and I think it's easy to do that. Before we write him off, you need to know something about this disciple. Thomas, Thomas loved Jesus. John tells us that when Jesus announced to his disciples his plan to go back to Judea, this is back in chapter 11, to go back to Judea, the very place where the Jews tried to stone him, every single one of the disciples, including the one that authors this book, say, hold up, Jesus, Let's not do that. That's a really bad idea. But what, what is Thomas's response? He says, let us go. Let us also go that we may die with you. Man, Thomas was a 
fearless follower of Jesus. John's not giving us this story, this insight into Thomas's heart in order to like shame him, to shame a friend. It's not here so that we can shame Thomas and make ourselves feel better, right, about ourselves. John wants us to see that that we're just like Thomas, that we're unbelieving people who desperately need Jesus to help us believe. I think sometimes unbelief is really obvious. It's open. We can see it, identify it. I think most times, though, unbelief is more subtle and hidden and even respectable. I lose my temper with my three-year-old when she doesn't do what I want her to do. I, I stress over finances and, and the future. I lose my cool over really little insignificant things like when those ants come through the wall and they are attacking my kitchen. I hate those ants. Subtle, mostly hidden and acceptable. But here's the thing, when I lose my temper with my kids, I'm believing that my comfort is found in an orderly home and not in the God of all comfort. When I stress over finances, I'm believing that my security comes in the form of a salary and not in my Savior. When things don't go the way that I want them, right when I want them to, and I become disheartened, I'm failing to see God's goodness and His care for me. In all of it, I'm rejecting God. In all of it, I'm failing to see God is good. I'm rejecting Him. I'm not believing that Jesus is enough and satisfies my deepest longings. I'm not trusting that God is good and wants good things for me. The posture of my heart in these moments is just like Thomas. I will never believe. We don't, we don't see these hidden sins in this way, but I think that's what they are. Whatever shape your unbelief takes, it's still rejection of God. No matter how respectable you may think your sin is, it's still rejection. But here's the good news. Here's the good news for a skeptic like me. And like you and like Thomas, God draws near to unbelieving people. God draws near to unbelieving people. He comes close. He's, he's not repulsed by you. He doesn't like your sin. He hates your unbelief. But He isn't repulsed by you. Jesus, just as He is a friend to fearful people, Jesus is a friend to skeptics too. And Jesus vividly in this passage demonstrates this with Thomas, doesn't he? Look with me at verse 26. Jesus doesn't leave Thomas in his unbelief, and he could have, but he doesn't. He lets him, he lets him sit under the weight of it for a time, for, for a week, but he doesn't leave him there. John writes, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them again, saying, Peace be with you. 
And then he turns and he faces Thomas. And he says, put your fingers here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus draws near to Thomas in his unbelief. And he invites him to come close, close enough to like touch him, to see him, to touch his hands, to touch his side. He's, he graciously invites Thomas to weigh the evidence. But the whole point here is not that Thomas would have peace of mind. That's not why Jesus is doing this. All right, I've seen Jesus. I'm going to go home now. That's not what's going on here. Jesus really wants him to believe in him. He wants him to reject his disbelief and believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. He wants Thomas to experience life in him. That's why he says there at the end, do not disbelieve, but believe. More literally, Jesus is saying, stop being faithless, Thomas. Stop being faithless and believe. Turn, turn from your faithlessness and believe in me. That's what Jesus says, and this is what Thomas does. Remarkably, in an instant, of all of Thomas's resistance, seems to evaporate into thin air. All of Thomas's resistance seems to evaporate. He knows who this man is standing before him. This is Jesus. And with tears of joy and repentance and relief and worship, Thomas drops to his knees and he declares, my Lord and my God. I'm a skeptic, just like Thomas. I think we all are. This skeptic needs grace daily and help in my daily unbelief. What we need to see here is in Jesus' encounter with Thomas is that God comes close to us in the midst of our unbelief. And then he opens our eyes to see our unbelief. And then he gives us the ability to turn from our unbelief. Jesus doesn't forsake us. He rescues us. He doesn't forsake us. He rescues us from our unbelief through the death-defeating death and resurrection of his perfect son, Jesus. Jesus has one more final word for us here in this passage. And it might just be the most important thing that Jesus says. After Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, Jesus gently rebukes Thomas. He says, have, have you believed in me because you've seen me? And then he gives this promise. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Trinity, Jesus is saying that we have more joy now than the disciples had when they saw Jesus face to face. It's incredible. 
How can that be? How can it be that we have access to more joy than any one of those disciples who who saw Jesus in the flesh, resurrected? Wouldn't that bring more joy? Jesus says no. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who see not with their physical eyes, but with eyes of faith and believe. See, faith seeing brings about more joy than eye seeing. That's why Peter later on in his epistle writes in 1 Peter 1, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Glorious, inexpressible joy is ours, church. Not because we've seen Jesus face to face, but because we've seen Him with eyes of faith. And friends, we, what other words can we say when we see our risen, death-defeating, sin-conquering Savior than the disciples' own words. My Lord and my God, we have seen the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so grateful that You have given us eyes to see Your glory and to behold Your glory. That You have removed the scales from our eyes and that You've given us new hearts to see You, to love You, and to obey You. Father, what else can we say but thank You? Thank You for drawing us to Yourself. Thank You that You didn't see fearful skeptics and, and You moved the other way. We thank You that you, you enter into the mess of this world and in the mess of our lives and You redeem us and You make us new. We're so grateful for Christ crucified and raised that that is what our hope is built on. Father, I pray that You would help us as we go from this place, as we scatter, to be a light into the world and to take Your Gospel to those who do not know You, that they may say, My Lord and my God, I have seen the Lord. Father, thank You for the great work of salvation that you have done in us and are doing in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.